into music at an early age, didn't you? Very early age, just singing around the house. But I've been singing ever since I was a kid. Tell us about how you went AWOL from the National Service back in the day. Oh, well, what happened was, to make a long story short, went into the Air Force. And uh, while I was in there, my mother got hit by uh, a taxi. I went to my commander and asked him for emergency leave to go to the hospital to see my mother. And at the time, there was a lot of racism in the service. He says, uh, I'm not going to give you any time to go anywhere. You have to stay here. You got things to do. I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, I'm going to go home. And he said, who do you put first, your mother or your country? I said, my mother. And uh, I ran away from the service and I went home to see my mother and she didn't recognize me because she was in the hospital with these bandages all over her head. That's how that happened. And uh, when they caught up with me, I just decided I wasn't going to go back to the service. I was just going to run away for good. And uh, when they caught me, uh, the police put me in the car, in the car to take me back to the station. And one cop got in the back of the car with me and laid me on the floor and started kicking me in the head, just beating me in the face and kicking me in the head and uh, got me back to the station. And the, the captain, I guess, the main man in the station said, how did he get hurt so bad like this. They say, well, he was, you know, pulling away from us and fell and hit his face on the ground. That's truly awful. That way, it was an awful. It was really, really bad. I never will forget that. God but no. uh, but then, then they court martialed me and put me in prison for five years. And when you came out, did your life was your mother still around at that time? Oh, my mother was still. Around. Yeah, she she got over it. You know, they they healed her face up and every her head up and everything, and she was you know fine head ups and downs with headaches and stuff like that. But uh, when I got out, I decided I wanted to see if I could uh, get some kind of other guys with me and form a group because at that time, the doo-wop groups were coming up hot and heavy and I wanted to be in a group or either sing by myself if I could find a group to sing with me. And I found a group called Us The Echoes and uh, we had one record called The Lonely Mood Out and it was, you know, making a little bit of noise, not much, but it was getting us around to weddings and different little uh, things that uh, we could sing at, you know, and it was helping us to start to pick up our um, entertainment value. Then uh, all of a sudden one night we was working in a little tiny club doing a little show for the man that owned the club and uh, funny enough the flamingos walked in a couple of them and they saw me and they called me over to their table and asked me would I be interested in singing with the flamingos. I said well like I'm in a group can't leave my group. I said let me talk to my group and see what they have to say. So they say, go ahead and talk to them. So I went and talked to them. And one of the guys in the group said to me, said, Tommy, it'd be a good thing if you did join them because if you join them, you're going to meet a lot of interesting people that can help our group. And they said, you'll always have a place in the group if you come back. And it was only for a temporary job with the Flamingos because a couple of them were going into the service and they needed replacements. And they saw me and they just, they choose me to go with them. And that's how that happened. And then with the Flamingos, obviously you did meet a lot of interesting people. And... I did. I did meet a lot. Give us some names there, Tommy. Well, uh, as far as the entertainment value, the 
I met. I worked with Elvis Presley. Wow. Uh, Gene Vincent, Bebop Lula Boy. <laughs> yeah. Exciting times. Yeah, that, that was really exciting. In fact, I was working with uh, Chief Allens and uh, Buddy Harley and the Big Bopper together on one show. That show was in New York at the Lois State Theater. Then when the week was over we, and the guys were leaving, we had a little bit of a drinking party, all of us together to say goodbye and we'll see each other somewhere along the way. And that's when uh, Richie Valens told me, he says, uh, I'm not feeling too well. And I said, well, what's wrong, Rich? He said, I don't know. I just, my stomach is bad. He said, and uh, Buddy wants me and the big bopper to fly out west with him. He's leaving tonight on his private plane. And I said, well, why don't you tell him you'll leave tomorrow? First, why don't you see a doctor first to see if, you know, what's wrong with you? He says, I'll probably be all right once I get on the plane. He says, it might be just a little bit of air sickness or something that I'm frightened of. I said, well, if I were you, I would not leave. I would stay tonight, get a doctor, and then see what the doctor has to say. He said, no, I got to go. And that's when they died the next day. The day the music stopped, that's for sure. That's right. Yeah. If only he'd listened to you, perhaps, you know. Well, I told his mother and his brother, because I went over to be put into the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, Richie Valens was also in it. His name was in it, and uh, this here kid, I can't think of his name now, but you know him because he had a big hit over here in England, a Spanish boy for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. His name was on it, too. So it was uh, Richard Valens, Flamingos, Queen was on it. Michael Jackson was on the list. That's a big name. So I was with all of them that night at the big uh, affair at the hotel that we all stayed in together. So I met Michael. You know, he was right standing right beside me and uh, with a cask on his leg. He'd hurt his leg or something. Yeah. And uh, we got to talking a little bit. You know, and very nice lad, you know what I mean? Very tiny voice. I said, you got big lungs, but your voice is so tiny. <laughs> what did he say to that? <laughs> he said, just laughed. He said, what do you mean? I said, because I said, when you speak, you speak like that. <laughs> I said, when you sing, you ah! I said, I said, Jesus. Yeah. Hey, we didn't talk long because he had people with him that was came with him and they were surrounding him and as a you know pushing him and pulling him away and so i just you know said it was nice meeting you mike i said maybe hopefully i'll meet you again someday somewhere along the way he said okay tommy you decided to leave the band. Was that an easy decision to make? When I decided to leave the band, I decided in the uh, in the 60s, I think, because, you know what I mean, the band was, Flamingos were good. I, I'm going to tell you that now. They could have been a fantastic, big, big, major group. But there was one of the band members who was the last member to be brought into the group. He was 
guitar player, and he's still running the Flamingos in America today, but he's telling the people like yourself and people on the radio, you know what I mean, that uh, everything that happened with the Flamingos was because of him creating it. And he wasn't a creator of the Flamingos. The Flamingos were created by a family. The Flamingos were all relatives, except me and the lead singer. And when he got into the group, we thought it'd be nice to have a guitar player behind us. And he came in one of our shows in Baltimore and, you know, was talking to me and the lead singer and said how he would love to work with the Flamingos. And he plays guitar and he can play all our songs. And he said, I really think I'd be pretty good for the group. So we went to the spokesman of the group and told him about it. So he listened to him and he liked him and he said, okay. So we took him in. And right today, he has really, since the flamingos died, all of them, but me and him, he's telling people, the people that danced in the flamingos, the two boys that danced was him and the, uh, the uh, Paul who died. But it was me and Paul that did all the dancing. And uh, he's telling everybody he was the one. When people said, wow, do you sure to dance good? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, um, yeah, I did all of that. I, I said, well, how the hell did he dance and play the guitar at the same time? <laughs> yeah. And I just couldn't believe this. And the, the sons of the Flamingos are still living in New York. Okay. And they have a group called the Flamingos. And they sound so close to what we were in our day. And this group that the guitar players has, they don't even sing the flamingo songs. They want to sing everybody else's song, and people don't hire them to sing other people's songs. They hire them to sing the flamingo songs. Yeah. And he's really messed the name the flamingos up now. You know, he's really brought it down. And I'm trying to keep it up as much as I can because I love the guys. Are the stars out tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright. niggling in me to, you know, have a, a solo career. I always wanted to sing by myself, you know, and just see see how I would turn out. And I had four or five nice years with the Flamingos. And I told the guys one day, I said, well, I'm going to have to leave. And I said, because uh, I, I did something else that's on my mind that I want to do. So we broke up uh, nicely as friends. And uh, I went out, and about a week or two weeks later, I met this Luther Dixon, who was uh, the manager and the record producer of Chuck Jackson, the Shirelles, Dion Warwick, B.J. Thomas. And uh, he asked me would I want to come on his label. And when he told me who he had on his label, I said, yes, of course. And that's when I went on his label. And uh, the first, first record I put out, which was uh, an accident, because 
the record he wanted me to do was the A side, which was called Parade of Broken Hearts, and the B side was called Human. And I liked Human more than Parade of Broken Hearts, which I told him, but he said he knew best he was the hit maker. I was just a singer. So I said, well, I, I go along with what you say because it's my first solo record. And what happened was that a DJ that was playing my record for the first time in New Jersey was on the radio saying, now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a, a singer, Tommy Hunt, who was formerly with the Flamingos, now out on his own uh, to find out what his talent's all about. So let's listen to his first ever recorded solo record, which is called Parade of Broken Hearts. And what he did was put the needle on the record, and he had put the wrong side on, and a human came up. <laughs> and when human came up, he didn't. He couldn't turn it off because he was playing it for the people. And when the record was over, the phones rang off the hook. People called, oh, can we hear that again? You know, who was that again? Uh, you know, wow, what a song. So then my record producer called me and said, Tommy, you know, you, you got a hit, you got a hit. I said, what, Parade of Broken Hearts? Because I thought that's what the one he wanted. And he said, no, 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 man. He says, human. I said, well, how did human get it in the picture? I thought it was Parade of Broken Hearts. He said, ah, he said, oh, forget it. You got a hit. That's the main thing. You got a hit. I've got to laugh, I've got to cry, I've got to live, oh, I've got to die. And oh, Lord, why, why did you make me I've got the best girl in the world But make her understand that I'm only a man Because he wouldn't explain it to me because he didn't want to lose his own, uh, his own face because <laughs> he told me Parade of Broken Hearts and I told him human. So, you know, it's, it, everything was so strange to me because I'd been with the group so long and being by myself and not knowing all of the ins and outs of show business because we had a spokesman in our group who was the leader of the group and he did all the talking for us and did all the business papers and everything for us so we didn't have to do nothing but sing so that that's how that happened and uh, 1962 we're talking about b-sides i just don't know what to do with myself oh that's a joke uh, the first recording of the song the first recording was me i told bert when he took me into his office and told me he had this song for me because he asked uh, uh one my record company if he was interested in my voice doing this song well, he took me in, and when I heard the song, it was a pretty song. It was pretty, but it wasn't what I felt was right for me. And I just said to him, I said, it's a very nice song, a lovely song, but I said, ooh, I think Dion, because he was writing for Dion, 
I said, Dion would knock that song right off the map. And then uh, Dusty Springfield came over and heard it, and it was moving very slowly up the charts. I didn't see it going to do anything. I just told him I didn't think it was anything after I had done it. And he said, just wait and see, wait and see. I said, no, you wait and see. And uh, it was moving very, very slowly up the chart, and Dusty heard it. And Dusty's manager must have talked to Bert about it, you know, could they, you know, could it be done again? And uh, Dusty did it and did a great job on it. I thought it was a woman's song from the beginning. Yeah, well, you were right there. Yeah, definitely a woman's song. You were a regular at New York's Apollo. Of all the great artists you appeared alongside, what great memories do you have from that time, Tommy? Oh, I see some of the greats. Jackie Wilson, Marvin Gaye, Roy Hamilton, Billy Eckstein. I mean, that Apollo was was a great venue, wasn't it? It's, I think it still is. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in years, you know what I mean? But they still got my picture in the foyer, both sides of the wall. Yeah, my pictures with all this, a lot of the stars that have played there in the past, and my pictures on both sides of the wall. So there'd be one with the flamingos and one on your own, I guess. And one on my own. Yeah. And in 1970, of course, you moved to England. What made you make that decision? What, England? Well, I came to Germany first, and I was working some of the bases. And the guy, Jeff Patterson, from Australia, he was the guy that booked me there in, in the Frankfurt. And uh, I don't know, I did all the little army bases that he wanted me to do. And then he told me, he said, Tommy, he says, if you ever interested in coming over here and doing some work or something, he said, I would like to be the one to represent you over here. And I said, oh, that'd be fantastic. I said, you never know. I says, you know, I might just come back over. And and uh, while I was at home, I was working pretty good, you know, everything was all right, you know. And you get slow times in your career where things are not going fast enough, but that's all right, too. But in that time that was not going so fast, I started thinking about Germany. I said, maybe I should go to Germany and, you know, check this out until things get a little bit better here for me. And then I decided one day on my birthday, about my 35th birthday, I think. And I said, I'm going to Germany. So I got on the plane, got to Germany, and uh, I tried to use the number I had on this guy to call him and tell him I was in Germany. And the number was no more. But he had a helper that helped him to do bookings and go pick up artists and do stuff like that. But I had his number and I called him and he was still around. And he says, Oh, he said, Jeff left a long time ago. He, I said, well, do you know where he went? And he said, no, I don't know where he went. He just he disappeared one day. Didn't see him no more. I said, oh, my God. I said, I've come over here. And I says, I don't have that much money. I says, uh, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, look, he said, I'll be over to, to your hotel to see you and talk to you and see if I can help you out a little bit with some army bases just to pick up some money here and there. And so I hung around Germany a few weeks, and then he got me a job in one of the bases, and there was four English girls from England on the show, and I became friendly with one, not a love affair, nothing like that, just a nice friend. And uh, I found out, somebody told me that they think that Jeff went to England, and I asked the girl, I said, when you go back, I said, can you look up a Jeff Patterson? He's an agent, and he's probably got an office in the 
England and probably doing the same thing over there. And she went back and she found him and called me and said, I found him, I found him, and he's going to call you. I told him what the hotel you're in. He called me and says, I want you to get over here to England. I want you over here. And he said, I'll send you just a little bit of something. And he sent me uh, about $150. And that was enough to get me over to England. I, I had a little bit of cash myself. So a friend of mine in the Army, he said to me, he said, I'll drive you all the way to Belgium. He said, you don't have to pay no train fares or nothing. He said, I'll take you to Belgium. He said, and then you'll have to pay your way across the channel. I said, oh, thank you. And he took me to Belgium. He, he went and, and uh, bought a ticket for me for the, on the boat. I called Jeff and said, I'll be on this boat coming in. I got the time and everything. I said, now you'll have to pick me up at the boat because I stopped myself and I don't know England. And so he said, don't worry. So when, when I got there, he was at docks and picked me up, took me back to his house. And uh, we started talking about business, but I had to wait three months before I could get any work papers here. Right. And uh, so uh, what happened was I was walking around the streets of London, didn't know nobody. Nobody ever said hello or anything to me because they didn't know me. No. So, you know, I did that for three months. You know, really hard to do that. Take me over. I'm begging you, don't make me over. But you know, I made it through. And when he told me the first job that I had in England was at uh, Caesar's Palace in Luton, I said, oh, well, who else is on the show? Because I thought it was, you know, a couple more artists on, and I was just one of the artists. And he said, no, no, he said, you're the artist. I said, what do you mean I'm the artist? He said, you're the only artist on. I said, what do you mean, starring spot? He said, if that's what you want to call it. He said, that it's only you on that stage in the band. And I said, wait a minute, Jeff. I says, I'm just, I'm brand new here. Nobody knows Tommy Hunt. I said, I, that's like putting me into a lion's den. He said, well, he said, you got to start somewhere. I said, well, couldn't you get a show with, you know, a couple of other acts to give me a little bit of strength to go out and do my show with a little bit of encouragement from a, a couple of English acts where I can learn how they do it. I said, you just don't push a guy in on a job like that and, and nobody knows him. And how did that go down? The show went down the bomb. It was great. That show was really great because I was so frightened. I just had to overwork myself, and that's what I did. I overworked. I really put everything I had in, in it. And then when I got off the stage, people were coming up saying, wow, I said, you're, you're good, aren't you? You're really good. You're really good. I said, I don't know if I'm good or bad. I said, you are the judges. <laughs> <laughs> I said, not me. 
because in the 70s and 90s, you found success again in the Northern Soul Circuit, and you had a surprise chart hit with Roy Hamilton's Cracking Up. Um, you know what? When I told Roy when he was living, I said, Roy, I always liked that song. And I told him, I said, oh, Roy, I said, I want to do that song, because with my influence on music, a younger man, my influence was Roy Hamilton. When I heard his voice, there was no other voice like it for me. That was the greatest voice in the world. Jack Wilson, none of them I wanted to sing was the way Roy was singing. And we had been friends a long time, me and Roy. When when they told me I was doing cracked, they said, well, it was Russ Winstand listed, and he says, uh, yeah, we got a song for you. He said, it's, it's a nice number. And I said, what is it? He said, living on the losing side. And I said, oh, when I heard it, I said, they took the melody for living on the losing side of the love I lost, the love I lost. Yeah. That music came from the love I lost. If you listen to it closely, you'll hear it. And I said, ooh, that sounds like the love I lost. And they said, oh, well, a little bit of it is that. They said, we did take a little bit of that out of it and added our stuff to it. I said, the song sounds nice. And then Russ looked at me and said, we got another one, too, for you, if you want to do it. He said, somebody did it already. And I said, who did it? He said, Roy Hamilton. I said, Roy Hamilton? Because I didn't know they knew Roy over here. And I said, oh, you know Roy. I said, I love Roy Hamilton. I said, what's the song? He says, cracking up. And when he said that, that blew my mind. That blew my mind. I said, you're joking. I said, you got to be kidding. I said, this song I've been wanting to do for years. Just another fool Picking his heart Shaking inside Tearing apart Baby, I'm Cracking up over you Cracking up over you Got an ache in my heart Tearing apart over you Yeah Roy, I was going to do it Now I'm going to do it By that time yeah. Oh, yeah, he died. At least he knew he was going to do it. Do you still do much on that Northern Soul circuit? That's all I do is the Northern Soul circuit. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I went been abroad all over the world. All over the world. I've, I've been everywhere, but when I'm in England, it's always been like I'm more or less in the bracket of Northern Soul music. I'm always working on the Northern Soul thing. You know, I'm not in the run of the mill, uh, the music of um, other artists that are, you know, doing their types of songs. I've always worked in the Northern Soul scene. In 1998, you successfully sued Pepsi for using I Only Have Eyes for You without your permission, and here, 20 years on, to appearing once again in a fast food commercial. I was shocked, because when the people that are um, that put this here deal to the hamburger people, the company is in New York, and, they, and the lady called me and says, um, we're putting your, your song instead of McDonald's uh, advertisement uh, clip. And I said, oh, that's nice. So she said, you got something coming soon. Good. I said, that's even nicer. <laughs> exactly, because sometimes decades later, it's a nice little um, thing to come in, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. And it's giving the new breed of music a chance to hear some of the old stuff like that from oh. the past. It's really educating them on the old things. And free burgers for the rest of your life. <laughs> hey, that ain't bad at all. <laughs>
mustard and onions. <laughs> <laughs> and now, uh, you were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2001. We spoke about that earlier on. Yeah. But I guess you must have been gutted when you heard that all the Flamingo's early masters were lost in that Universal Studios fire back in 2008, Tommy. <laughs> on my mind to find something like that out but yeah what can you do you know you just look at it and say well that's the past and it's all over but oh everything's under the bridges now you might as well just get on with your future yeah sure about that time you you released your autobiography only human my soulful's life oh um, yeah i wrote that myself by hand did you yeah i wrote that by hand by my that's all memories that i had of myself nothing was changed you know what i mean about that that is my life i wrote every word and that's a great read i hope it is yeah. it could be a boring one and, and i always loved doo-wop that's wonderful because it was a good music it was a good music i knew music would change one day you know and i didn't know which way it was going to go but i always believed doo-wop music would never die and it hasn't because it was a music that connected with people it connects People sing it when they walk down the street in the bathtub, at the dinner table, at the breakfast table. They sing it. I don't hear none of the, really, a lot of the new stuff out today. I'm not condemning it because everything changes and that's what life's all about. But I just don't hear the people getting involved in singing, singing songs, uh, walking down the street, whistling them or anything, you know, like it, like it was in my day. I had the pleasure of interviewing Dion DeMucci um, yeah. a while back, and, and he was telling me, you know, how singing on the corners of, of streets. Yeah, yeah. It all happened then, didn't it? And it was beautiful. It was so, you know, it was so nice. Music was such a big issue. Yeah. You know, like now it's a business issue, a big business. is You know, it's, it's taken away the glamour and the imagination of uh, songs where people, like I said, like where people sang them and, you know, enjoyed them. And they were in their everyday life, you know what I mean, when they just sit around and sing songs. But now you don't hear that like that anymore, you know? You no. You don't hear nothing, no boy. But Tommy, hey, you know, you lived it, so you were there. I you was can, there. You can tell the story. I can tell a lot of stories. <laughs> yes, sir. Tommy Hunt, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. It's a pleasure, Ian. Many a tear has to fall But it's all in the game 